1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Waypoint Sports and Sports Adjacent Podcast that sets out to disprove the notion that people with lives uh, dedicated to pixels jumping across the screen can't also be unhealthily interested in what nerds condescendingly refer to as sports ball every Super Bowl. Rob, I start off every episode with the same question.
2: Buddy, are the bears back? Well, you tell me. There's nothing (laughs) to these rumors that they're going to deal fields, right?
1: All right, so we just moved. All right, hold on. I'm I'm taking this section in the notes. I am moving them up to topic A. Um, yeah, they, the Bears have the number one pick in the draft. The draft is in April, uh, I believe. Uh, next major event is the combine, where you have lots of college players come out and run sprints. And for some reason, they air it on ESPN <laughs> because you got to put put something else uh, from football on it at all times. Uh and yeah, the, the Bears have Justin Fields, and thir- he'll be entering his third year, um, which is not where you want to be in a rebuilding team in theory. That is not usually the timeline, but the Bears are in an unusual timeline as a franchise. Uh, and the thought is, would, with the number one pick, you can either trade back, which is what they're most likely to do, to say the Indianapolis Colts, who really want a quarterback, and acquire a bunch of draft picks and keep Justin Fields and see what you can get out of somebody who showed unbelievable promise as an athlete but was not a particularly good passer for all sorts of reasons that could be very easily attributable to things not related to Justin Fields. Or do you reset the clock on the team entirely? you trade Justin Fields for probably two first-round picks, right? Like, he, I think he shows enough promise you would get something comparable uh, to trading back uh, for Fields Take a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud or a I forget the Will Lettuce, Lewis, something like that as one of the other quarterbacks, uh in that top spot, and you essentially start the team in the place that you should be at, which is the first year of a rookie deal while you're building a team around a rookie. Uh, I think there's a logic to it. I think the reason I don't I don't believe it'll happen is because every quarterback is a coin flip yep. and you don't know. The, the the quarter is not fully formed on Justin Fields, but he kicked ass in, in some really important ways. He, like, he has the leadership qualities. He has the ability to suffer through two years of playing for the Chicago Bears and coming out the other side. And he was an incredible runner. And I, th- I think they can maybe figure out the rest in a way they could put together a fun and entertaining team. And starting over on a Bryce Young or CJ Stroud doesn't strike me as necessarily the best move.
2: Well, and there's always the um so we we've talked about this before and this is true of, across a lot of different sports, you know, the um the way we phrase it from the fan perspective is would you rather have a team that's good and in the hunt uh, as they say every year or would you rather have like one championship run uh that gets the job done? And I think we both sort of said we Prefer to, you know, it'd be fun, it'd be nice to have a Bears <laughs> team that you're kind of interested in seeing uh yeah. week in and week out. And but I think the the other side of this, if you're looking at it from the team perspective, is I think it's very easy to get caught up, and I think it actually serves front office executives quite well to create this notion that, well, obviously. You know, everything that matters depends on that, like, rookie deal clock, the five-year clock. You got to, you know, if the window isn't right, it's time
1: to blow it up. This is not how NFL teams have been organized historically. This is a new phenomenon from the most recent collective bargaining agreement that created this kind of window where with uh, with college uh, athletes coming in more prepared than ever, running more NFL-like systems in high school and college, they're able to hit the ground running faster. And the thought is – you want to maximize the five year window where you're paying them the least before you're paying them right. somewhere between, you know, 10 and 30 million dollars as opposed to, uh, I think, Burrow and uh, what's uh, the 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 Chargers quarterback. Uh, uh, why am I blanking? Anyway, they're going to sign new deals. They're going to be 50 plus million. Yeah, um. which is a huge <laughs> chunk of
2: your uh, <laughs> yeah, like salary cap, because like the salary cap it has competitive functions, but it is a wage suppression mechanism and, yes. uh, quarterbacks have the highest market value and even they can only realize like a pretty decent fraction of it, but even they like can't quite get paid what they would make like on a free market. But what that means is to like, if you have a star quarterback there's a little bit of a curse that comes with them because what it takes to keep them in town means that you don't have money uh, to spend on other positions. So often you have like the star who's surrounded by a diminishing cast of talent uh, because there's simply not enough freedom on the salary cap to uh, allow them to be sort of armed with the, the, the the team around them that they need. However, like where I of going with this is, you know, you can see it'd be very tempting if you were a front office executive to be like, well, hold on. We've got a we're rebuilding this whole thing. The timeline. Don't think about this year. Don't think about next year. Think about five years from now. And it's like if you were to blow it up, as, as they say with the Bears, like. You are basically investing now in a theoretical like this is it's supposed to work out this way, right? Like uh, if we blow it up surely we will get a decent cheap quarterback in that mix with the draft picks you'll you'll have a, a fairly cheap team that you can augment with uh free agent talent and you can build them to compete in that in that rookie contract window but as we've seen like quarterbacks are, are it's hard to see how they work out and also there's something to be said for good teams develop like an institutional competence that mm-hmm. serves you well over time and if you don't do that, if you stay in the like, uh, we're gonna we're gonna blow it up again and and start from scratch, you kind of don't. You're having to lay the foundations all over again. You and you could easily end up in a position years from now, in the same position the Bears were when they got Fields, which was you had an elite prospect, and a team that was a shambles. Like he was stepping into a mess, and so even if. Even if the window, even if this like sort of forecloses the possibility of a Super Bowl, I would sure as hell take maybe a slightly disappointing career for Fields where like it's some playoff appearances and some some good seasons, but like they're an exciting fun team. And in years to come, you know, you're looking at a different era under a different quarterback, but in the meantime, the ship is righted. And all this notion of maybe restart the program scares the hell out of me because like I just don't I don't like I, it would it would make me nervous with any franchise but with the Bears it's like you don't have credibility on this no. front like like I'm like maybe the new regime there is is really great there have been mixed signs but just institutionally the Bears are not good at this part of the game no and they I I think they need to prove like if Fields
1: is incompetent or doesn't show some sort of meaningful leap uh, this this coming season, the Bears are also going to be bad again. And the draft class next year is supposed to be much better than the draft class this year. They'll be in a position through trading back, not trading fields to find out what he is capable of, because th- this will be the, even if they don't give him a number one wide receiver, because it's very difficult of it. The free agent class is bad. They, the chase Claypool thing hasn't really worked out so far you'll have your opportunity you'll have your opportunity to do exactly what you're talking about rob which is you can reset the clock more naturally once you give fields an actual opportunity to fail on his own terms as opposed to <laughs> as a result of circumstances that set him up to fail and he even didn't even manage to do that like this is a team that should have won zero games they should have gone 0 and six 6- like if you had uh Nathan Peterman or the other like quarterbacks they were fielding like as backups for fields who don't even share his play style. If they were playing for that same team, I struggle to imagine them winning more than a single game. And even that would have been a fluke. So three games in which they also lost something like seven or eight games, uh, you know, plus or minus one score. Like it's very easy to flip the math on that. And they like accidentally have seven or eight wins. Uh, I just, I just don't know how you can hold that against fields. And so if polls and Eberflus want their own guy. Go get him next year. If, if fields turns yeah. out to just be, you know, if he lives up to this moniker of he's a quarterback, that's actually a running back. Like we'll find
2: out this year. And then, yeah, you can, but also you can even that I'm like, then make it work. Like right. they said that about Lamar Jackson. And guess what? Like, uh, Harbaugh managed to figure it out and create like a winning combination around that. Because, if he's a quarterback who's mostly running back, but he's an incredible running back, then that is a really difficult quarterback for a team to deal with. And you They're should build ass around the that. ground,
1: right? Yeah. Like treat, treat him like a running back and get get five se- good seasons Cam out of Newton's him Newton's going to go to the
2: Hall of Fame on that <laughs> style of career. And based on like what field the flashes of a field show shows, he will do the same. And it seems like he's in it to play that way. So it's not even like. You know, you're using him up because this is just his natural style. Uh, that he like this is how he approaches the game of football. But yeah, I just don't um it's also interesting because I think the bears keep
1: fields, uh the the funny thing about this entire conversation is that it would be much more complicated if Bryce Young, the sort of consensus number one, although the way I've heard this quarterback class talked about is a bit of a choose your own adventure, which works for the advantage of the Bears, where there's a lot of players with different types of traits that you can talk yourself into. But if Bryce Young had uh, six more inches on him, <laughs> he would be like a Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck. Like the Bears would toss fields in the trash and move on. But he's shorter than Kyler Murray. And that has proven to be a... There's a lot of worries around shorter quarterbacks. Look at Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, like they are they're more injury prone. They tend to be very uh not have enough weight
2: uh on them so the like, big issue is opening NFL. the visual lanes uh yes. through like because the thing is like in the NFL if you're not if you don't watch the game that much like they talk about like the trench warfare of the offensive and defensive line play but the, every play begins with like uh eight large men or more like rearing up in front of you and grappling. And that is just a a wall of people that ideally, and this is why quarterbacks keep getting taller, you can just sort of see over and you can sort of see what's happening downfield. But if and like we're talking like you don't even have to be that short before it starts to cause problems. Like at this point, being just like flat six feet makes people makes like uh, front office recruiters nervous because (laughs) uh, fields isn't even short, but. There were times that even he
1: got himself into trouble over the course of the season, where he would do these like jump ball throws, where he would kind of leap into the air and try and pitch it forward. And <laughs> the vast majority of the time, it did not, it did not right. go well. That's why you want that natural height to just be able to toss it over,
2: uh, right. as opposed to playing with uh, in the in the realm of physics. And so you'll see teams do weird things, like it's almost like they're trying to create plays that bring back the uh, the Madden vision cone from back in the day where it's like they will try to scheme it so the offensive line will open holes not for a run but so that the quarterback can stand there and get some sort of glimpse of the routes that are supposed to be unfolding downfield uh, otherwise you're having that quarterback roll out a lot to try and like get around the line and see what's happening and then they better be fast and they better be good throwing on the run uh so yeah it's that that is a it's not necessarily disqualifying, like there's some great quarterbacks who uh you know don't don't have that height, but it does tend to create some complications that may or may not be uh capable of being overcome yeah, so there a lot lot of uh,
1: there'll be lots to talk about with the bears in the weeks and months to come. they are sort of in the driver's seat of a lot of the offseason. um they have the most money to spend, although as part of a pretty weak free agent class. So I wouldn't be shocked if they weren't huge spenders. They, some of the major players that were hopefully going to be on the market, um, a tackle for the Chiefs, Orlando Brown Jr. Sounds like he's going to get tagged. Um, uh, Damian Payne, uh, I think that's right, uh, was a defensive end over on the uh, the commanders, is also likely to get tagged. And so a lot of like the big flashy free agents, which is normally what happens. Players like to keep their good players, and they find ways to keep them, especially as the salary cap uh, continues to rise, but we'll we'll have plenty to talk about with the Bears in the uh, the weeks to come as uh, sports and the the NFL, despite being in its off season, manages to dominate the sports calendar all year long through its various stunts and phases. But we we should at least touch on uh, the you know a conclusion to our previous episode, which was a preview of the Super Bowl with Austin Walker. Um, I will say this: Austin did not have the tragedy unfold at the end of that podcast. I asked Austin to outline what would be the worst possible scenario for losing this game, which was Jalen hurts throwing a pick six at the very end to sort of lose the game completely on his shoulders to go into the off season in which you would probably lose a bunch of coaches and also have huge questions at quarterback leading to just a really messy Super Bowl hangover that could kind of weigh the team down uh, for years uh, to come. Uh, Jalen Hurts was sick in this game. He was everything. Like, whatever you asked him to do, he did. He was incredible to watch. He did not even lose the game. The, the, the Mahomes just ran the clock out and gave Hurts no time to do much of anything. But I don't know how you couldn't have come out of that game more impressed with a extremely young quarterback in Jalen Hurts and excited about what he could do in the future.
2: It was one of the best Super Bowl games I've seen in my life. Uh, the up until the, the last it, up until the last five minutes, just like watching a balloon
1: slowly deflate, like like I, I get the tactic of running off the clock, giving them no time to play. I get it, but it was otherwise like a picture perfect, exciting Super Bowl, and all I wanted was to give Hertz a, a minute fifteen to make something happen.
2: Yep, but the problem, like. The problem was, and, you know, as I thought more about it, the the de- the Eagles defense had been very good across a lot of this year, and they weren't able, Like, and hey, no shame in this necessarily. A lot of teams can't stop uh, Kansas City, but they couldn't either when it was the most important game of the year. And so, yes, things end up hinging on a... Sort of feel they feel like they end up hinging on a pass interference call at the at the end of the game holding call uh, a holding call sorry yeah um but you know even as that play unfolded in real time to me I saw the hold immediately I was like oh that could be a problem like like a uh, Eagles player basically grabbed a Kansas City receiver uh, before he could start his route and then by the time the guy got released it was just in time to see the ball land in an empty spot on the field where the route should have been completed. Which is co- which is common. Like, the yeah.
1: notion that, like, officiating in any sport is just trying to catch the big stuff. Like, infractions are happening on purpose or by accident all the time. And you are just sort of trying to maintain some sort of competitive balance so the game can be played. And frequently, players are just trying to get away with shit. Like, this... You know, playoff Super Bowls are also officiated differently in which, like, broadly speaking, the officials are going to give players more leeway to be more physical and aggressive with one another um, uh, relative to sort of regular season game. And I think it was Bradbury was the, the cornerback for the Eagles admitted after the game. He's like, yeah, I held him. I was hoping they wouldn't call it, which was like remarkably – it sort of took a lot of the air out of what otherwise was going to be an enormous talking point. I'm sure as an Eagles fan, you're still yeah. looking at that and going,
2: like, trying to pull pull. Well, you we out. were saying was a soft call, which it kind of was. Like, it wasn't the... It was a soft call, but... was more egregious stuff, but it was, it was noticeable. It wasn't nothing. Correct. Like, when you saw the replay,
1: it was pretty obvious that he tugged. And what the player there is trying... Like, frequently what players are trying to do is, if they get beat, a hold is a way of preventing a worse play from
2: happening. So the difference between... And ironically... It, they should have let the worst play happen because it would have been a touchdown. They would have gotten the ball back. with a They would have gotten time back. Right. Yep. So what ends up happening is the hold.
1: Uh, and then they're able to just run the ball. They get a, one of their running backs like does, you know, what is a relatively recent recent thing, which is like knowing to not score the touchdown and to slide down inbounds right in front of the goal line so you can just suck the rest of the life out of the clock. And you're right. I because there are, there are situations where, players, where teams are taught a defense will line up like towards the goal line and they will let a running back score a touchdown because it is more advantageous to give give the, the team an attempt to
2: respond than it is to let them bleed the clock. Yeah, that's the this has been the big change is it used to be that it required like it was only when the kneel down play was the option that you would see sort of games like fizzle like this. And just a team was sort of in a submission hold and, and slowly mm-hmm. choked out. Now you see them doing stuff like this more where they pick up like the yardage they need for the first down to get a new uh, a new set of downs where they can just like kneel down. But the player will instead of scoring uh like hit the dirt. And at that point, the, the, the game is up. And yeah, this is this is sort of a, a tweak. And I don't know. It's not the worst idea if in years to come, the NFL is like, you can't do that. Like they came through <laughs> and like the officials see a guy throw himself to the turf, uh, you know, just before the end zone at the end of a game. It's just like, no, we're giving you the seven. And it's we are tough. I don't know how you I don't know how you would legislate that out of the game, because in some ways,
1: what's remarkable about it is it runs contrary to the dream of even playing the sport, right? So that running back, I, I I don't know which one who who did that slide at the at the very end, but you know, ostensibly the reason you get into any of this, um, outside of you know like questions like escaping your own personal circumstance through sport is to be in the big game and to score the touchdown. Well, it's, like it's the classic then, presence then, of mind stuff, like knowing right? and like, and knowing it's a team game, right? Is that like the difference between winning and losing? is that slide. I mean, obviously, it's Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, it's Andy. Like, but in that moment, it is that player being unselfish and recognizing the thing to do is to not get the touchdown and is to be two yards short and to let everything else play out. And there's, I'm sure there's still, obviously, you get the ring and the celebration, but, man, like, you're also got to be rewinding in your head like, I also could have just gone those two yards and, like, gotten a touchdown. To the touchdown. My whole yeah. team would be yelling at me, but there'd be some sick-ass photos that I get to hang on my wall.
2: Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit like when a team is uh, on their fourth down and they throw it long. Defensive backs need to not catch that ball. They can knock it to the ground but they need to <laughs> yeah. not intercept it. But, like, everything in your conditioning is uh-huh. like, I need to catch this ball. See ball, get ball. <laughs> uh, the, the other thing is, and th- this was the thing that I really took away from all of this, is um, it can feel it can feel like like Mahomes's ability and talent and genius for football is overstated. It can feel that way. Like nobody can be that good. It's just a talking point. This was the game where it was like, no, I think we all just need to bow before the king. It, it like I I really thought. That he was debilitatingly hurt heading into this game. And there were certainly signs that, like, his leg was not right. Uh, he was playing through considerable pain at the end of the first half. He yeah, looked he like re-injured it. it looked, I mean, that looks like the kind of thing that, Rob, you and I are bedridden for eight
1: <laughs> weeks. I mean, it's unbelievable, The not only the physical talents, but his ability to mentally adapt his own physicality to, like, the way his body is changing. Which yeah. is, again, like, to, to your point of... You are taught to do certain things instinctually this has led you here. oh no, I need to play the game completely differently
2: in order to win is just a
1: that's just that's yeah. a talent in he has
2: a couple times in this in, in the in this run, he was basically effectively playing on one leg and he looked weird and different doing it, but like he was making it work but then in this game in the previous one, when the chips were down and he needed to like just go hard on that leg as if it weren't hurt. Uh, despite the fact we all knew it was he did it like it <laughs> yeah. was like we you know we we praise grittiness a lot and there's times where like p- playing through pain is, is really not worth it but Super Bowl is one of those things where it's like you know all online everything to play for and and he did it like he like there was a in addition to like his his pure talent at the game and his complete mastery of like it's tactics and 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 the the flow of each play there is also an element of he can do things by sheer act like force of will he can just like power himself through things that uh a lot of other players like can't right there's a lot of there's a lot of players who it's not cuz they're less tough but they just can't they can't figure out how to play in that situation right the bears had bears notably had a quarterback uh that exited an important game with a leg injury and it was always sort of a black mark against him. But the question was always he felt like, like Jay Cutler, when he hurt his knee, felt like he could not throw for shit uh, with, with that leg being wobbly. And there's a lot of quarterbacks who sort of agree that, like, when things are not right, uh, everything else kind of falls apart. And Mahomes is just like very well. I will use different mechanics and a different play style and like skin these guys. I will will
1: defeat you. I will defeat you that way. And it's, and it's, it's, it's equally amazing. I mean, there are two touchdowns in that game uh, that the Chiefs scored that have nothing to do with Patrick Mahomes. Players came wide open, kind of like splitting left. And I Rob, you and I could have thrown that ball. We could have scored those touchdowns. It is, you know, there's, a lot of bemoaning in Chicago sports circles over the fact that the the Bears were interested in Mahomes, took meetings with Mahomes, and ultimately not only didn't take Mahomes, but traded up to take Mitch Trubisky, who is essentially going to not quite flame out, but I think become nothing more than a, a backup in the league. Um, there are worse fates. Uh, Still a pretty great bank.
2: career and great life, honestly. Yes, like- worst
1: worse fates for your bank account, but not necessarily the flashiest thing uh, in the world. And – You know, I try to imagine.
0: Rob, can you? If they
1: had drafted Patrick Mahomes, John Fox would have been coaching him. Now, granted, that probably flames out. I think Mahomes is a enough of a talent that it would have been recognized that Fox was not getting the most out of him. He he would have been fired. But there's also an there's also absolutely a window into a world in which. He keeps Fox around in like a, uh, a McCarthy sort of sort of situation where it's like, hey, like, well, don't, don't if it ain't broke, don't you know, don't try and fix it. It's like maybe we end up with a like t- lower top ten quarterback who's like pulls off occasional amazing feats of strength, but never gets paired with someone like an Andy Reid who is just using him to 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 like his utmost ability in a way that just would not happen
2: in any other circumstance the mahomes goes to chicago counterfactual is something i think a lot about i've sort of been on the record i've talked about before that if Mah- if chicago somehow drafts mahomes that the cuz mahomes was also kind of buried treasure in that draft yes. uh like both two, both teams had a sort of similar idea which is we've identified somebody other people have overlooked and we see greatness in him the bears were wrong and the uh you know chiefs were very right but I've always sort of suspected that if Mahomes had come to Chicago, he would have been ruined. Uh, That it would have been a similar story where, whatever his play style is, he would have been. They would have tried to force him into whatever style their shitty coach, uh, you know, be it a be it a Negi or be it a Fox uh, type character, you know, would have adopted. But at this point, I, I have seen enough that, like, when I talk about like Mahomes has a genius for the game, like I do mean that literally. Like he's just. He has a thing where he sees the game and understands it on a really intuitive level that I think might have been unruinable, even for the Bears' like prodigious <laughs> talents at ruining, uh, like any good passer or receiver. Mm-hmm. And so I do think, yeah, there is a world where, despite the Bears having done nothing right and deserving nothing out of Mahomes. He ends up having a really successful profile there and, yeah, ends up saving a mediocrity and maybe a chain of mediocrity mediocrities. Maybe they figure (laughs) out boxes in the guy, but then they make another bad hire. Yeah. Uh, And like and that could be a curse, too. I think. um, (laughs) Why can't I remember the charges quarterback name? Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert. Uh, Justin Herbert and Kyler Murray had a little bit of this, too, where. Yeah. Things go a little bit well. And what do you know? The front office and the organization decide everybody's doing an incredible job. Fantastic work. Extensions all around. The, the Cardinals extended their, their, their,
1: their, their coach and their GM under like three to four year, you know, tens
2: of millions of dollar deals and then fired both of them in the ensuing offseason. Uh yeah, it was like one year with the extension. And and they extended like I think Murray in all of that too. It was like just across yes. the board, like everybody's yeah. doing fantastic. And the thing was, there's there's still reasons to have concerns about like Murray's long term viability as a co- as as a quarterback, but I watched a fair bit of the Cardinals that year, and to me it was pretty clear that Murray was sometimes making magic happen. Mm-hmm but there was no magic being called in from the sidelines and yeah. there wasn't like a lot of magic around him and so yeah it's it's one of those it's one of those things where a good quarterback can transform an organization but also it gives a lot of people an excuse to like congratulate themselves and be like we did it we nailed it we're going to ride this incredibly talented person <laughs> and it's and be, because they're incredibly talented and we're winning we must be doing something right too uh, the the last thing I'll make about the Super Bowl is, uh, you know, tragedy
1: unfolded. Well, actually tragedy unfolded in two ways. One, my daughter for the third year in a row got the uh, the coin flip wrong. Um, so, you know, I keep trying to find different ways to fund her going to college as expenses go up. And for 50 bucks each year, she keeps picking the wrong side of the coin. That said, she got lucky this year because right after she got the coin flip wrong my my which is like the only thing all the children came down to watch was to see if Jessica got the coin flip right and then she did not uh was immediately uh I won a like you know we play there's a game you can pl- frequently that you'll play like with a group of people when you're watching the the super bowl where uh it's the square game. So you're like – you put in a pool of money and then you randomly get a space on a square. And so like let's say at the end of the first quarter, if the score is 14-14, the winning square is 8 because you add up 14-14, get 28. And so 8, oh, you win. That's just an arbitrary way of handing out money as a goofy way for for, for a group game. I won that on, on the first quarter. And then as I'm going up the stairs to help my kid with something – my wife wins a TV commercial bingo that we were also playing, and so the fifty dollars got erased uh, pretty pretty quickly. But then the thing that went poorly, and I, this is a comment we got from uh, this is what made me think of it, was a comment from a from a reader that said, uh, "Quote: My wife made sliders for the Super Bowl, and the meat tasted like meatloaf." They didn't elaborate further. That's the only comment we got. Yeah, but it definitely sounded derogatory, right? I don't think. I don't think the sliders are supposed to taste like meatloaf. What do we think they were supposed to taste like?
2: So my guess is there's... So so my get like... I make pretty good meatloaf, and I don't know that a slider having that flavor is the worst thing in the world, but mm-hmm. I can imagine it might have an overminced texture. texture uh, so that instead of, like, that good, like, chewy ground beef, it's a bit more, uh, like in the mincing and mixing process of making a meatloaf for meatballs sometimes uh, they can end up feeling if they're especially if they're overworked a little like meat pasty but mm-hmm. the other thing is a lot of people put in like lots of onions and other seasonings uh, into these things that can be a little bit not what you want in a uh in a burger or a slider my uh my wife made a so
1: this is something we've encountered, the, the Super Bowl for the last couple of years is something we have now watched with a neighbor, uh, a, a fairly large group of people, and this is not a dynamic I have experienced in the past, because usually when I've watched the game, it's either been a pretty small group of people, um, or maybe I'm going somewhere and the food has been like catered and you're just like pitching in money to to cover like the, the, like the, the lunch or dinner being brought in. Um, there's like a real specific Thanksgiving style timing element to when you should be putting in your food. Um, last year, famously, at the same gathering, someone brought some food, put it in the oven too late, and by the time it came out, it was like halfway through the fourth quarter, and nobody had any appetite. So it's just like a bunch of food they made. It looked delicious, and nobody wanted to eat it. And my wife did a, did a double. She put in her delicious, delicious buffalo chicken uh, sliders, far too late into the second quarter, not or into the second half. Yeah. And not only was it too late after a bunch of people had gotten uh digging deep in all sorts of other uh, entree and appetizer menus, they came out awfully burnt. Now the the center of it was fine, but the tops were extremely burnt. She had put it up too high in the oven and had not uh really accounted for that. And so they come, so she comes out with like like 40 these sliders she spent like all afternoon making and like they're all burnt tops five minutes left in the game and she's like does anyone want any and i'm like yep i do i want four
2: i want four of these delicious and so does everyone else grab a slider (laughs) grab a slider you're all getting sliders Mm.
1: (laughs) no nobody else touched them uh we up just like like slicing the tops off yeah um exposing some of the bread and handing out some of them to people as they left but it was uh I just hadn't quite, you know, it was a lesson learned that, you know, you got to, it was, she thought third quarter, people are going to be ready for, for more. And it turns out you got kind of by halftime, I think all the main foods have to be out or you're running the risk of having spent your time on something that people are not, if it's something filling, right? If it is a sort of an additive, a side thing, think maybe you've got an opportunity to still catch some people uh, towards the end of the game. But once you're drifting into eight, Eight o'clock, depending on, you know, what, what part of the country you live in. That's uh, a dangerous territory for a huge stack of food.
2: I don't know how it is. Like, and it's easy to think, too. Like, I'm not college age anymore. Like, it used mm-hmm. to be, like, you know, at a Super Bowl party or something. when I'm, like, 25 or something. It is like, hell, yeah, that looks good. I'll have more. Hey, give me another beer. And I'm going to yeah. fill another yeah. plate and just <laughs> go for it. And, like, that would have no impact i was like yeah i feel mm-hmm. fine like what a what a fantastic night like really feast in here <laughs> and now it's like oh my tummy feels full and if i ate more i would feel really unwell really fast <laughs> if i did that so now i'm not going to like and it, that thing used to be a thing where it's like you, you know you have that notion of uh I forget where this comes from. Is it like from the Hobbit or something? The notion of like a dessert stomach where it's like like a little <laughs> kid thing, right? Where it's like, no, I'm full. Well, uh, then you don't want cake? No, I have room uh-huh. for cake. Yeah,
1: yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah.
2: I there's a the treat stomach, right? Uh-huh. I don't really have one anymore. It's it's more like, okay, no, you've ha- you've had enough. Like you, you like if you eat any more, uh, you're going to be like you're gonna get uh a bit of like stomach ache or something. So you just can't and I suspect just all of our friend groups are aging.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think we still lay out parties. Like you know, we In learned college. we had to yes. ten, yes. fifteen years ago. Yeah. But the party needs have changed.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like now the party is like there are kids, people can only have two or three beers because they're driving hey, home. It's, you know. It's uh, the
2: third quarter. Do you have some still water? I could really I could really crush <laughs> some still water, please. No, no, not too cold. <laughs> Uh, I think that's a fair
1: point. Um, I have to make a quick phone call, and we'll take a we'll take a break. Well, when we come back, we'll we'll talk about the the XFL, um, some other uh, sports sports news. Rob and I both watched two games. I cannot believe I I don't think we can do it we'll after get this, Rob. There. I, we'll get there, but we'll be and we we'll answer some of your questions. We'll be right back.
0: Ready to pop the question? Rob,
1: Rob, we watched the um, we watched the XFL. Uh, the XFL debuted. The new XFL debuted on ESPN uh, this weekend. The XFL is a alternative sports league, uh, football league that started in 2001. It was originally like a uh, WWE NBC kind of joint venture. Uh, Chicago did have a team back then. The Chicago Enforcers. There is a in the Wikipedia page. There is a photo of them playing at Soldier Field. Which, frankly, if the new XFL had a Chicago team, I might have. I might have. Maybe this is Lori Lightfoot's solution. Rob is just going to be trying to like recruit Dwayne Johnson to put a Chicago uh, XFL team in there, and that'll that'll fix everything. the The original plan was to purchase the Canadian Football League, the CFL, which is now a fairly thriving uh, uh, league uh, to our north. Uh, that didn't obviously happen. Uh, the original XFL. It was kind of like this WWE NFL hybrid. I didn't watch any of these games back in 2001. I was mostly just kind of reading and looking at clips, but they did more of the performative stunts and bits that you would associate with the WWE. I guess this took place specifically during the Attitude Era mm-hmm. of the of the WWE. Um, you know, so like that was that was also like the height of when I was paying attention to wrestling probably. I think that was like Goldberg and uh, uh, Hulk Hogan's like heel turn to the NWO, uh, like that is a lot of that era of wrestling, trying to infuse kind of an NFL blitz quality to the NFL. It was a enormous failure. Everyone loses money. Uh, the XFL goes away until 2020. Uh, you know, Vince McMahon just timing everything perfectly to debut the XFL's, uh, resurgence, Right as the NFL season uh, finishes uh, and then COVID <laughs> begins, uh, the XFL does not make it more than five weeks in before not only is attendance and viewership down at a time when everyone is just at home, being they're desperate for anything to watch, but the 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 COVID concerns in terms of like athletes and spread like force them to essentially abruptly stop the league five weeks in. They did not finish the season. They fired everybody and immediately go into bankruptcy. And that is the end of the XFL in 2020. And what gets us to today is that the XFL was going to go in an auction, like the rights to the league or whatever, were going to go up into just a a broader uh, IP auction. And then Dwayne, The Rock Johnson, and a group of others got together, bought it prior to the auction, and brought it back, sort of repositioning the XFL, not as a, Like extreme sports league. But uh, like the whole rhetorical pitch, if you watch like the opening segments before a game starts is like, hey, this is this is like a second chance. This is an opportunity for players who maybe were either undrafted or uh, like kind of aged out of their prime or got overlooked, like a way to get back into a league uh, that they are no longer a part of. Um, And that is sort of the pitch for this Several weeks of the XFL. Um, there were six teams. Uh, I think all all the games. Well, they all played this week. I thought I, I thought there were only four games. I don't know how they're doing the scheduling. But I, I watched. I watched. I watched two of these games, Rob, and I think they're interesting things to talk about in terms of the rule differences. But where I want to start is with the beer snake. Okay. So the beer snake is a. I don't think this is a. You were positioning it as perhaps I, a tra-
2: tradition of the. XFL, DC defenders. I don't think that's true. Well, so I had, uh, so the, the thing is you mentioned, we got to talk with beer snake and I was like, what the fuck is a beer snake? Cause you're unfamiliar with the concept to begin with. No, I totally, I totally whiffed that people were doing this in stadiums. Uh, that (laughs) people were, uh, it's a
1: problem. It's not, not encouraged. The beer snake is 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 a thing. It's where you take
2: your empty your empty plastic cups and yes. stacking them together, and you got a tall, tall enough tall enough snake tall enough stack. Mm-hmm. It begins to bend and turn like a snake. You sort of be, yes. it, it becomes like a long tube, and people can just keep adding to it. <laughs> and I guess so. This is so I, I I was looking up why you were talking about a beer snake. What was it? Because it came up around the DC Defenders game, and apparently in the previous iteration of the XFL, there was an epic beer snake at a Defenders game. And so at least in the article saying it's like, and the DC Defenders have a team tradition of of (laughs) beer snakes. And I was like, how is that possible? The league has been going for a week.
1: I mean, it's one of the problems with the beer snake is, uh, you know, outside of the potential sanitary issues is, Rob, when you're drinking these beers, And then attaching it to the snake. There's a decent chance there's still some beer in there. You know what I mean? Like I'm not sure that people are drinking to the last drop, so it's easy to imagine you have this (laughs) ever-growing, like unsanitary snake that is, I'm sure, extremely funny if you're four to five beers in. I am it, and it is funny conceptually to the outside observer. But I can imagine a scenario where you like the beer snake is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> snaking towards you and you're just getting hit with extra beer of, like, I think
2: flowing on you. If you're going to an XFL game, you've signed up for this, <laughs> right? It's like it, it it's like uh Okay, hold know, on. Rob. I, I never thought I'd get spray with Fago at this insane <laughs> Posse concert. Ew.
1: There is an article at the what is what is as.com what is what is this website uh as.com uh with the is, the uh there's a subhead in here in this article why is the beer snake not allowed in the xfl and the subhead is the tradition begins <laughs> so what exactly is a beer snake Fans collect empty plastic cups of beer and stack them up initially vertically and make the stack dance as a snake charmer would. The beer snakes can get longer and span several rows as people team up with others and connect their creations to elongate the snake. The one that fans created in March 2020 in the Defenders game against the St. Louis Battle Hawks ran the length of Audi Field end zone seats. Two groups banded together to create a snake that needed more than 1,200 cups emptied and almost 20,000 ounces of beer guzzled. <laughs> so I think this is it. I think I am sending you a link right here to the to the old uh, XFL. And there are people just shouting, we got cups. We got cups as they are elongating this beer snake. There appear to be captains associated. There's a sign that says cup snake starts here and people are coming down adding to the cup snake Uh, as the game is going on. I guess the DC defenders are a holdover team. I don't think all the teams are exactly the same between uh, the two of these, but we, you know, halfway through this video that we are watching, Rob, I mean, this is, moving its way from the front row all the way towards the back. Um, it's oh truly God. incredible. This is a feat of engineering, of community. Um, it, one, I don't know who this is, but halfway through the video, 48 seconds, 46 seconds, Rob, you'll notice there appears to be a white guy in a fancy business suit who I would associate with being an owner or an executive associated with the league takes a beer cup, walks from the field over, hands it to the beer snake fans to add to it, thus validating the beer snake as yeah. a tradition of the D.C. Defenders. Um, and I should note, this video comes from the D.C. Defenders' official Twitter account, which I don't know if it's still being updated. Does Twitter ownership transfer to The Rock? Um It's time to hashtag Defend DC. Um, Yes, this has transferred over. Um, And this tweet does still exist. But, so, uh, uh, Sports Illustrated. uh, Also, they just got gutted. Tons of writers there just lost their jobs, like, as part of an ongoing, you know bludgeoning of media jobs, so sucks for a lot of what's happening over there. Um, But let me read for this article from uh, Carl uh, Rasmussen. Uh, Fans at Sunday night's XFL game in Washington between the D.C. Defenders and Seattle Sea Dragons were not pleased when security took away their beer snake. After security confiscated the coalition of cups at Audi Field in D.C., fans responded in bizarre fashion by launching lemons onto the field. (laughs) Exactly where the lemons came from remains unclear. I was wondering this. disgruntled Defenders supporters didn't hold back when pelting the fruits onto the playing field as they booed security. ESPN's commentators were left befuddled as a barrage of lemons cascaded onto the turf. Then they explained the situation with the beer snake, which apparently is a tradition among DC's XFL fan base. Defenders fans clearly hold the beer snake tradition in high regard. And the fact that the stadium shut down their funds so early in the season did not sit well with those uh, in attendance. And I I was watching this game and, and saw this play out in real time The commentators were on the side of the audience. It was amazing because this is not usually what like usually when things go, you have like a streaker or somebody sneaks onto the field or go uh, do a Google search for uh, uh, New England Patriots dildos. And I swear I'm not sending you to, to a branded dildo page, but there was a game where people were throwing big floppy dildos into the end zone, and there's a specific tweet you can find that shows two refs unsure what to do with this giant sex object that was on the field, and they're sort of just kicking it uh, like off to the side, not wanting to pick it up and, and touch it. But usually when that happens, the cameras cut away, the commentators don't talk about it. The thought is that... I think it, you know is that oh we're endorsing it by like we're we're gonna we're encourage copycats whereas the XFL here was like free hashtag free the snake like let the people drink let the snake dance and it was the most charming part about the three hours of XFL that I like caught in fifteen minute chunks over the course of of the weekend.
2: Well, see this is the thing like if. The XFL is going to have to make these things fun to attend for reasons mm-hmm. other than football. Because uh-huh. the football was bad. It was really uh, bad. Like, and it is, like, there, there's there's a couple things going on, and this is why, like, creating these leagues is so hard. It's not just that you are, you're, you know, tons of great players can't make it in the NFL. But the problem is, you need to be recruiting from players who really do, like... They're not even making it to NFL practice squads because anyone who like is marginal in that way will hang closer to the NFL and try to shoot their shot there. And they that's not the, that's their version like that's of a NFL. yeah. There is no developmental league, but
1: where the fringes of NFL players exist are yes on the practice squad, where we you are paid complete dirt but have an opportunity to maybe move up due to an injury or.
2: Or you just distinguish yourself. Like coaches like take a shine to you and they're like, wait, like actually, you know, you show you got some you got some game and a good attitude, you'll be you'll be an accent to the to the locker room where you know we'll bring we'll bring you in for a game or two and see how it goes. So you're you know, it's not just you're dealing with players who are not of caliber to make the uh like uh the, the the final cut roster. You're dealing with players who like aren't quite up to snuff to make it on the practice squad. And then the other thing, and the broadcasts were all making were a pains to point this out. Cause it seemed like they, they knew that this was gonna be a lot of bad football. These teams have only been together for five weeks. And so they don't know how to play together. Their playbooks are very hit. basic.
1: The first time they were hitting at all was going to be on the field uh, in this game. Um, yeah. Uh, and, it's true that over time the nfl through its different contractual negotiations has removed a lot of uh like hitting in practices uh in scrimmages uh during the off season or training camp and in between and like during the season broadly like players don't hit each other in practice because you don't want to you know ca- yeah. any, cause any any uh opportunity for injury that is doesn't already exist in the the violent game that football is when it's played on sundays but This is even a more – where you like have a lack of team cohesion, chemistry, and extremely – sure, can there be diamonds in the rough? I believe Taylor Heineke came out of – who was the commander's quarterback that was not particularly good but wasn't any worse than sort of like the average C-tier quarterback you get in in the league. Uh, I don't think he came out of the XFL, but I think he came out of USFL. I don't know, but he came out of one of the alternative leagues. Well, so this Um, is
2: the thing. Like – Uh, Because you and I are going to have to keep an eye out for USFL because that football was considerably better last year Mm -hmm. than the XFL is right now. And I suspect that will be true this year as well. Like USFL feels like a more credible alternative league, uh, a little bit closer to uh, like college standards uh, and like, you know, semi pro standards than the XFL felt. Now, maybe that'll tighten up, but it definitely felt like the two games i watched it was like the the, the dc game and uh god seattle the kraken thing but the D, uh, dc played C, the, okay who was the play? other team uh battlehawks <laughs> I, I watched battlehawks
1: sure yeah the battlehawks i can tell Battle you Hawks. i watched
2: two i watched i watched yeah. two of them but now, it felt like offenses weren't very good throughout all this, and a big part of that was the offensive lines were were kind of lost out yeah. there, and defenses were finding it very easy to round up these plays, because in a big sloppy game of football, uh, again, the whole, like, see ball, get ball ethos gets very powerful, and, a de- like, a defense doesn't need to have quite the same level of cohesion if it's amateur hour on offense, because at that point, it's like, they're going to put that ball somewhere and we just need to run down the guy who's going to get it because there's not sophisticated plays uh, that they're they're running. So, yeah, it was it was not it was not good football. So I think if the USFL is going to make a go of this, it's going to have to be like, this is a fun event to come attend. Right. And it'll be because of stuff like it's fun to be in the end zone with the beer snake people. Right. Uh, which
1: which uh, Vince McMahon is a huge piece of shit. But the notion of, hey, people like football. What if we gave them football that was exaggerated and like leaned in to the – I mean the NFL is frequently called the No Fun League for a reason. Like they are constantly trying to tamper down a lot of the excitement and like player improv that is much more uh, prominent in other sports leagues. Uh, And so there is a window for, hey, I'm going to watch some lesser – Football because all the elite talent exists in football, like in the NFL, right? So I know that I'm not here to watch like a secret Patrick Mahomes, like just slip through everyone's fingers. Like that just doesn't, that just doesn't really happen. But if I'm here to watch something different and interesting, but what they're pitching is, hey, these players, this could be their stepping stone to live the dream again. It's like, well, then that broadly means I'm watching a bunch of, you know, more power to them. Like, I'm sure that's got like to spend your whole life and. You know, bounce around between seven teams before you just kind of don't play football anymore. Like that sucks. I'm sorry that your career didn't go the way you were hoping, but ultimately means like it's a collection of players. Like AJ McCarron is one of the quarterbacks here. He was a backup to Andy Dalton, and why do I want to watch him throw the football? I, I don't. What I will say is, and I, I some of the rule. What has always been interesting about these alternative leagues are. They're kind of rule changes and like proposing what are ways that the NFL could change to make it more interesting Um, and in some ways more safe. Um, So one of the, I'll I'll land a couple of them here that are kind of the major changes. One, there's no field goals after a touchdown. You can kick a field goal, but after you score a touchdown, there are up to, you can score up to three points. You can score a one point by running a play from the two yard line, two points from the five yard line, or three points from the 10 yard line, which I don't ever expect the NFL to adapt something like that, but it did. If the league was more talented, like that would be more, that would be interesting. Yes. Do that in preseason or something like, I, I like the, the people forget the three point line didn't always exist in basketball. Like it was an, an addition to basketball. And I, I'm kind of all for like, this is, this is one of those rules that like, I, I think it's so feels so, uh, goes against the core of what football is. I don't agree with that, but I can just see this being too hard of a change. Um I can imagine maybe some way of adding a way to score a different point level uh like where you were going back 15, 20, 20 yards, but I can't imagine them like ditching the field goal uh entirely. How else would cowardly uh coaches get by if they were uh, forced to actually run a play instead of to 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 kick the extra point? Um the like The really uh, egregious fumble into the end zone uh, rule in the NFL that drives everybody up a wall when it happens because it's a bad rule. The the way it works is that let's say you're running for a touchdown and uh, a defender tackles you and the ball fumbles in the uh, normal field of play, goes into the end zone, and then goes out of the end zone. I think it it can also touch the pylon. I think the pylon also qualifies as out of the end zone. That is not. You might imagine to yourself, well, it was a fumble, and if the 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 original the offense recovered it, like I don't know, put them back ten yards. No, actually, you lose possession of the ball. It's a touchback. The other team gets it, and they start at the twenty-five yard line. Like that's ridiculous. So that got that gets ditched here, and the offense just goes back. I think to something like the ten yard line, which is very sensible. Uh, the other one, no players move during the kickoff until the the receiver or the the kickoff returner uh, catches it, and uh, additionally. Both teams are five yards apart on the receiving side of the end zone. So it's actually a very bizarre formation to watch, where it's just these two players staring at each other, almost like defensive and offensive lines, and they can't move until the receiver catches the ball. I think something like that actually is where football is headed. I think, like, the kick yes. return is is not long for this world. It's the most
2: or- dangerous play. Like, the the the... When we talk about like severe debilitating injuries that have occurred in college, a ton of them, I, I think maybe the majority have been on the kickoffs because this is where uh, you got two teams. They, they kept trying to move the teams closer and shorten the amount of space to like get up a good head of steam. Uh, but you have two teams of professional athletes like sprinting at each other dead on. And it is a tremendous amount of energy uh, that is uh, like unleashed.
1: One of the NFL plays that always takes my breath away is when a someone's taking, usually a punt, because uh, and they they are they're looking up at the the sky, tracking this ball, and then you have the way the rules work is that you cannot touch that that uh, receiver until they catch the ball. The moment they have the ball, anything is possible, and the amount of times you watch a guy having sprinted like three quarters of the field a full head of steam and just directly connects a crushing hit right as a, as, as the carrier catches that ball. Like that doesn't feel right. It does not feel fair to the the player who is catching it because look, if you just want them to say fair catch and not sprint it out, well then just make the rules where you can't run the ball out and let's start everything at the 25 yard line. Or you do something like this where you have minimized speed in the return. There's still an opportunity for a line to create a hole. Essentially, becomes a running play. It's like, can you just do a quick running play yeah. um, with these special team players? I think that's where it's going. I don't think they'll ever outlaw uh, like outlaw. I think again, kind of like the field goal, it's going to stick around in some realm. But something like this does seem uh, to make make a lot of sense. Uh, the other one is onside kicks exist, but it is also possible if you are a team trailing in the fourth quarter. To instead of kicking the ball off and potentially doing an onside kick, you can do a fourth and 15th, fourth and 15 play and try and maintain possession, which is hard. Like going 15 yards on on fourth down is difficult to do, Um, but it was done in one of the games uh, over the weekend. And again, I don't see the NFL adopting this, but this is the kind of stuff that is like a fun wrinkle on how how games are otherwise played. Yeah, yeah. and the last one, which I think is probably the most relevant of any of these besides the kickoff, is that all calls and non-calls are reviewable uh, as long as you have a timeout. Now You can only do it once, and you have to have a timeout in order to exercise it. Uh, but, for example, I think the fact that uh, you know Bradbury admitted to the hold in the Super Bowl deflated a lot of the energy around that particular play and call, even if we both agree that it was it was a hold. <laughs> That's why the player admitted it was a hold. But had the player not done that, because in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the loss, I can imagine him being like, you know, like, no, like, that wasn't a hold. And that drives a whole bunch of attention against refs, against players, against how the games are officiated. Uh, not only could the the Eagles have asked for a review on that, and then upon review, in slow motion, it would have been very obvious it was a hold, and it would have just, we could have proceeded as, as, as follows. But in addition to that, when... Uh, close calls are being reviewed when, and when any call is being reviewed in the XFL, they cut to the officials, like in like the, the media truck or whatever with like the million screens, the million angles, they talk through what they're seeing, what they're not seeing. And when they make a call, they explain why the call is being made in like very easy to under and understand specific language. Uh, like we're at a place in the NFL where frequently it is unclear. What is a catch? And the whole point of the sport is to catch a ball. Uh, and even if the the, the the rules have gotten extremely complicated, at the very least, it is nice to know this is where, like, the conspiracy theories comes from. But I can also imagine a world where, like, does the NFL kind of like that people get upset over the games and the calls? Yeah. I, I think they do. I think that fuels a lot of attention and discussion around a game after the game is over. So, you know, I think this is better for the sport and as better as a viewer I could also imagine the the NFL being like, you know, fuck it, we actually the, the mystery is part of the part of the fun. Uh elsewhere, uh we'll run through a couple uh, of these real uh quick you wanted to uh, mention outside of the NFL. You uh you linked me a piece called Relegate Manchester United. Can you explain? Nope. You can't explain. So there's explain two it? Manchester teams. Oh, Manchester so, City, sorry. Yes. <clears throat> Manchester City.
2: Yeah. So your your theme. What's Manchester- the difference?
1: Can we could just start there. What is the difference between Manchester City and Manchester United?
2: Uh, in terms of history, I don't. I'm. I, I don't really know. People will write in. I'm sure this this okay. inspires a lot of passion. But I will say this. Mm-hmm. So Manchester United, I think, was sort of the iconic team of the transformation of British Premier League into uh, a global sport. Wait, Manchester and City, you mean? No, 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 no. Manchester okay, United. Okay, I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure no, no, no. that we're. So, <laughs> yes, no. Let me ask you. You know who Wayne Rooney is, right? Yeah. Okay. Like he was man. He was Manchester United's uh, star player, and like, you know, the red jerseys, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Manchester United mm-hmm. was like kind of the, uh, like. The face of that league in a lot of ways as Premier League uh, sort of became a major international sport. And for a long time, like they were uh, incredibly well financed and uh, a bit like, you know, the, the old school Yankees were in baseball. Manchester City historically, I think, was kind of the. Well, they weren't man. they were the Mets, right? So, like, <laughs> if you had Man U over there, uh, you know, uh, hoisting the banners and such, you had Man City, uh, you know, kind of like, well, I'm sure people in the neighbor in some neighborhoods, uh, like them, <laughs> but it wasn't, it, like, it, it wasn't really, uh, a, a marquee franchise. And then, uh, Man U declines a bit, but the big thing that happens is Manchester City is acquired. Manchester City is bought by effectively, I think, like the royal family of Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what that brings in, we've talked about this, you know, we've we asked people to write in about how there have been so many European soccer clubs that have been purchased by uh effectively like billionaires or like sovereign wealth funds or like uh you know oil shakes and 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 such like that. And it's caused, you know, salaries to explode. There's a lot of teams that are just like wildly well financed. And Manchester City is kind of the poster child for that, where like this went from being a club that was kind of historically nowhere and turned into a a real powerhouse, um, and so over the past like decade, I think they've pretty much eclipsed. Um, they, they've pretty much like eclipsed Man U and been like one of the best teams in in Premier League, and then. And so people can write in to correct me about this. I'm I'm curious because I have more questions than I do answers, but this is just Mm -hmm, mm – this just caught my eye. First of all, I've been watching a bit more uh, football in general, and people have strong feelings about – I made the mistake of saying some very – kind, like saying basically that Man City deserved to crush Nottingham Forest because they did. Uh, <laughs> like Nottingham Forest played like shit and still got a tie in a way that I found really, really grating. But people are, people really hated the thought of like cheering for Man City or thinking they deserved anything. And I think part of it is what I'm about to talk about. It's so, also related
1: to your arc with was it Tot Tottenham Tottenham?
2: Yeah, Tottenham. Uh, I I don't know fully how to pronounce that either. Uh, is it Tottenham Tottenham or Tottenham? I don't know? But I, we I mean, got it. We did. We did. Lawrence. Sports.
1: Yeah, Lawrence wrote, uh, uh, wrote in, uh, Dear Sports, this is a a part and passion plea with a question tied to my final point. Rob, please do not lead Patrick into being a Tottenham fan. I will say I am an Arsenal fan, so of course there's some bias here. But more importantly, the two of you deserve better. You deserve a team who can achieve anything, something. You deserve some joy. To be clear, I'm not suggesting Arsenal. I'm simply suggesting anyone else who isn't owned by a nation with questionable human rights records. I have many friends who are Tottenham fans they're not happy friends. They have a deep and powerful sadness in their eyes. Plus, fuck that Barstool guy. He's the worst. To end on my question, Rob, Patrick, do you want to be happy or not? The choice is in your
2: hands. All the best, Lawrence. Uh, yeah, like, uh, I, 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 I definitely feel that. Um, Arsenal's a lot of fun. I've, I've been enjoying watching them quite a bit. But anyway... So Man City is, like, coming off this, like, decade of of dominance, uh, tends to have a a great team year in, year out. The other thing that happens uh, across Europe is there are, like, national leagues that exist in Europe, but then there's, like, uh, European, uh, like, uh, tournaments where you'll have the best teams in the UK playing the best teams out of, like, uh, you know, Germany and such. But those are governed by different rules, and I gather that uh, UEFA, the organization that oversees those tournaments, basically conducted an audit of Man City and found that Man City has, for years, been breaking the few rules that exist in soccer to enforce financial (laughs) fair play. And from what I've been able to glean about this and i think the best summary of it if you don't know anything about this is a piece uh yeah called relegate manchester city uh that was published in the new republic but i thought because so many teams seem to have done it that it was totally legit for some wildly uh rich ownership group to come in and just say you know what we're going to sign all the best players. And then the players we don't sign to be our starters, we'll pay to put them on the bench. And you just sort of, like, buy your way in, uh, mm-hmm. and you buy your way to the top. Well, maybe it used to be like that, but it does seem like they've tried to institute uh something to change that, which is, does teams have to sort of pay as they go. You might have billions of dollars to spend, but unless the team is bringing in, like, revenue to cover its player signings then you can't do that like you cannot just inject your capital into the team and like oh interesting like chain like transform the market they've tried to sort of like you can still it still seems like you can probably inject quite a bit of money into the team but certainly the idea is like to, to be, raise the floor of quality or like
1: hey run a good team that people want to watch and see and thrive Thus it'll make more money, thus well, you can play your players better.
2: And to a degree, uh like the Man City thing is like I think concerned a lot of teams that were historically better because it was like this was not a good franchise. And then someone comes in and just through the sheer power of money, yeah, undoes years of like culture building across the across the rest of the league, and it's just sort of bought like bought their seat at the uh at the top of the table. So It seems like this is still really porous, uh, but even within those rules, Man City fucked up uh, because what they did was they signed bogus sponsorships to bring in revenue for the team (laughs) that would enable them to bring in more money. And one of the ways they did that was uh, like an Abu Dhabi uh, telecom company became like their title sponsor effectively. Well, it's owned by the royal family of us, (laughs) like owned by someone else. I think the royal family of that country or someone well-connected, but the company didn't even send the money. Instead, the owner of uh, Man City was like, oh, I'll cover that. I'll cover their sponsorship as a loan. And so signs over out of their like checking account, all the money of the sponsorship and I guess, like, when the auditors saw that, they were like, well, that's not really a sponsorship. That's just you. <laughs> like, that's a company being like, we want to give this this team a billion dollars. And the guy being like, great, I'll just give them a billion dollars, and you can get me back sometime. And that breaches the rules, because it's not a real sponsorship. It's not Man City bringing in that money, like, authentically. It is just uh, basically the, the owner finding a way to launder their funds into the team's pockets and allow them to continue sort of overpaying for talent. So they get banned uh, from like uh, like UEFA uh, tournaments, I think, for for a couple of years. But that also kicked off um, an investigation in Premier League. And this one also could have some pretty serious ramifications because it's the combination of People don't like these practices, but then there's also the fact that you have a decade of shaky paper trails and it looks like you were really trying to get away with something. And so it's unclear how this all unfolds. There is a possibility where, you know, we in American college football, there's the uh, there's the concept of like giving a program the death penalty. Uh, where you you basically ban them from uh, like all sorts of recruiting activities. You 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 cut them out of the uh, you cut them out of the NCAA for a while, and you and you like kneecap their ability to recruit new talent because they've breached all these rules. Man City, it seems like they're at least dealing with the possibility that something like that could happen to them as well. And there's a lot of people who badly want to see it happen because already they're sort of the poster child for. This phenomenon that's happened across European soccer, uh, people show up, you know, pour tons of capital into a team, completely blow up the market and transform the league. And it's just like, you know, rather than, you know, the, the team just is sort of buys its way uh, again, like to to the top. So people already didn't like that. But if that is ha- on top of that they're kind of like fraudulently circumventing the few rules in place to prevent that. Uh, that really pisses a lot of people off. Uh, but I think even their ban from European soccer may have gotten overturned by like a higher court of appeals or like a higher arbitration body. So, you know, money tends to will out like making punishment stick in these cases uh, is, is really, really tough. But uh the, the I guess the, the thing this piece lays out is UEFA had a very short timeline to figure out what was going on in Man City, right? It was like a quick audit, and it was like, this doesn't look right in a, a swift action, because uh, a lot of these violations happened years ago, so there's a mm-hmm. a sunset on, like, how actionable they are. I think Premier League has more freedom to dig into this, and so it is possible that, like, More and more stuff keeps getting like coming to light, I guess. And it just doesn't look good for this program. And it not only calls into doubt like the better part of a decade of English football, but also really highlights how many of these powerhouses of this era are kind of Potemkin teams, right? Where it's like what you got behind it is some guys with checkbooks, but not really like an institution
1: or a stra- like a team building strategy right right I mean it's 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 an argument in favor of it is tr- like as you pointed out earlier the way the NFL does things the way a lot of American sports leagues do things like that have either a hard salary cap or a soft one that invokes something called in the NBA I think it's called a, a luxury tax which is basically you start paying penalties if you start paying over what the salary cap is um there are arguments in favor of that from a competitive standpoint um, because then it forces teams to actually be strategic with their resources as opposed to just having the most expensive owner. Um, like, look, like the, the Cowboys may be, quote, America's football team, but they're dog shit a lot of the time. And like it's because you have to also field a good football team and not just be <laughs> obscenely rich. Um, uh, so that's that's interesting. Uh, the last one before we get to your questions. Um, uh I, we have both a note to this. Uh, this is not, not you know, yes, we are both Chicago sports centric. But uh, how do you think you've pronounced Jonathan? Taves. Has, taves. Yeah, I had to look that up. I was like, toes? Uh, taves. Jonathan Taves, a a longtime leader on the, well, frankly, disgraced Chicago Blackhawks. But uh, nonetheless, uh, the the captain of that team, um, this has been a team that's been on the verge of fully breaking up and rebuilding and exploding um completely separate from its moral and ethical lapses uh during its reign of dominance um you know about uh 10 15 years ago uh but uh they you know this this is uh, Jonathan Taves has been uh essentially on the trade block the trade deadline for the NHL is coming up uh and has decided to uh, ask not to be traded um and is uh, attributing it to the fact that uh they are experiencing and dealing with uh, the effects of long COVID. Uh, there was a statement that tapes put out. Uh, First of all, thank you to my fans uh, and all those who have shown concern about my absence. I'm still dealing with the symptoms of long COVID and chronic immune response syndrome. It has been a really challenging to play through these symptoms. In the past few weeks, it has reached the point where I had no choice but to step back and concentrate on getting healthy. I am thankful for the patience and support of my teammates, the coaching staff, and the entire Blackhawks organization. Um, I think this is really interesting to see a player talk about an issue like this. I I think when COVID began and we watched sports leagues kind of just power through alongside different protocols, broadly what you would see was you'd see players come back and they'd be tired. You know, I remember Lamar Jackson contracting COVID and just not looking quite right for a couple weeks after, which makes sense for a running quarterback to have issues. But there really hasn't, to my mind, been a whole lot of broader discussion in MLB and MBA and NFL about players experiencing we there's like been increased discussions of players' mental health, right? I think that has come more to the forefront in, in recent years. Uh and that's that's good and and healthy. But like long COVID, you know, I think can sometimes feel like it's a thing you read about in articles or like people talking about on Twitter and you don't have a good sense of what is the actual material impact that's having on everyday people, because statistically it's very easy to not know anyone that is experiencing those symptoms. Um, But to watch like an all-star athlete come out and admit like, this is what's holding me back. And I actually need to take a step back from playing. I thought was really interesting.
2: It's yeah. Like I have a lot of uh, complicated feelings about the Blackhawks these days, for sure. For the reasons Uh you alluded to, Uh, you know, people don't know we're talking about the, Uh, Early on in their sort of mini dynasty, uh, like over a decade ago at this point, there was uh, like an incident of sexual abuse that happened within the organization and they sort of looked the other way and sort of got the abuser out of there and sort of hushed the entire thing up. And that person went on to assault some other people uh, in a, I think, a junior league team. And but this is not like hockey, like a lot of uh, sports where there are a lot of young players uh and then adults who get access to them uh you know abuse scandals do tend to follow uh the 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 blackhawks are not like unique in this like hockey canada has a much wider and, and deeper set of scandals associated with this but uh it, it does sort of mean that the that the blackhawks uh like pretty explicitly uh you know back in the day put their championship run ahead of like hitting pause and doing the right thing and standing up for a victim. Uh, but setting that off to the side for a moment, uh, the the thing I see when I, when I see a thing like this, um, I guess a bit selfishly, I don't want to say like, it's good that this is happening, but I think there are a lot of folks who don't understand what people are talking about when they talk about long COVID, that they do not really believe that this can be a thing. And there's this whole, you know, we talk about like autoimmune diseases, like it's a really weird and poorly understood and frankly, scary category of diseases. And a lot of times like the, the catalyzing factor for what caused it is not always clear. Um, And COVID appears to be, one of those like reagents where COVID can just sort of unleash things in your system uh, that have a variety of weird symptoms and uh, debilitating effects. And that isn't really, it takes a bunch of different forms. Um, And for a lot of people, maybe they just have the experience of COVID where I didn't even feel sick and they're fine forever. Some people have like these, these, these little sort of long t- tail effects. Um, so when you have someone like Taves, who his reputation has always been that he's like the hardest worker on the team, somebody who lives to to play hockey, just an incredible, incredible athlete, incredible work ethic. When you get someone like him, who's like, I can't. I can't beat this. I can't I can't power through it. I can't do I, I like I can't do this. There's no digging deep or act of will uh I can perform to overcome this. I just need to stop until I can hopefully get a come to grips with these symptoms and come to grips with this condition. Um and maybe it gets better. But when you have it happen to someone like this, I think it can be really eye opening for people to understand that like. This is somebody who was in peak physical condition, uh, has never Access had – Access to the
1: best medical resources that money and organizations can buy, can, yeah. right? Like, I mean, this is a premier
2: – Never had a hint of, like, other infirmities uh, that that were sort of dogging them, and here it is possible. You know, the, the athletic uh, Blackhawks uh, reporter wrote a piece that basically, like, you know – this is not about his playing career, this is about like what his quality of life is at this point. Uh moving moving forward, we are we are hoping that he can recover and continue to do the thing he's he's best at, but like it sounds like it's it's beyond even that, right? And if you if you learn about people who develop things like chronic fatigue uh or like various autoimmune diseases, um these are these are incredibly eerie conditions that that entire community of disabled people uh, who suffer from conditions like this one of the real pain points is that it's not visible you don't look infirm you don't look weak and there is a lot of in addition to the fact that a lot of people are like deeply ashamed about things like this there is a strong sense that um you know there is not a lot of sympathy out in the world for them and a lot of understanding out in the world for them. And, uh, you know, that there's a, alongside just a g- general exhaustion
1: with COVID, right. With yeah. a lot of people just wanting to just even people who took it seriously for X amount of time or just don't want to think about it anymore. Don't want to talk about it anymore. And so you, that I think that is just compounding, you know, a situation where folks who are working through or trying to work through situations like this are, it's easy to ignore them. Um, yeah. so, oh, a statistical outlier. And also, I just don't want to think about it anymore.
2: Right. As a sort of been like, I mean, like Lyme disease is probably the most famous uh, example of stuff like this, where it's a, it's a massive, uh, you know, population of people who've had this, who've had like these knock on symptoms from this affection, infection that uh, can can be really uh, like disabling. And. The response to that has mostly been a shrug, right? Like sucks for sucks for you, but we you know, we don't care that much about Lyme disease. Uh, and we're not going to like give you much in the way of accommodations, right? Like the things that are needed to deal with things like this are uh, are not easily offered by employers, right, who are sort of the you know, ultimately, uh, because we don't have a social safety net, it's like you're kind of at the mercy of, are, are your employers going to be cool with it? And for most jobs, people are not going to be cool with something uh, where the symptoms are. There's just a lot of days where randomly you can't work or you feel like. It's up to a point, right? Like, yeah. hey, you get X amount of support until like,
1: hey, this doesn't, yeah. this doesn't make sense anymore. And to,
2: and, and to a point, like it's, you know, there, there's a lot of jobs where that isn't going to fly. It's just not workable, Uh, In terms of like having a person who uh, has that has that pattern. And the problem is there's no options beyond that except to deal with like the American disability system, uh, which which has sort of forms of enforced poverty. But that's a that's a different conversation. But when I, when I look at a story like this, it is just a reminder that like. Yes, there's a lot of COVID fatigue. People have like lost interest in it. And uh, you know, part of that is politically driven. But I think even well meaning people tend to have tended to get like kind of casual about all of this. And it's like you don't know what this is going to do. There's a lot of reasons you don't want this thing. And this is one of them. It's like I was sick for a month and it sucked. I didn't like it at all. I feel fine. Hopefully I, I stay feeling fine, but I would take that over Years of feeling like this,
1: um, yeah. In a heartbeat, it's a roll of the dice. You just don't know, you know. And yeah. you may, unfortunately, given this, this situation we now find ourselves in, not have much of a choice. N- no matter how safe you are, but every time you get it, you're rolling the dice. And like, I'd rather not roll them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a reason my bets are a dollar, Rob. Like I, I'm not I'm not you know trying to limit I try to limit my risk. Uh, let's get to uh, some questions. You can send uh, questions. Uh, to uh, GamingAdvice.com with the title Sports. Otherwise, so we always tweet out a link uh, with a document where people can submit questions to uh, for us to read on the podcast. Uh, this first one comes in, uh, Unsigned Anonymous. Can you do me a favor real quick and look up Boomer, the former mascot for the Columbus Blue Jackets. He has been unfairly maligned for his phallic resemblance, and we need a grassroots effort to bring him back. So I'm looking up Boomer for the... Columbus Blue Jackets. Oh.
2: Boomer. No, Boomer's fine. He looks like a beer bottle. The that little look... the little cannon thing is very funny.
1: Petition to bring back bring Boomer back. Um this is from When is where do I have a date on here? change.org. where all things change. Um Boomer the Cannon appeared as a secondary mascot for the Columbus Blue Jackets in November 2010 for the 10th anniversary, and that club gave him the axe shortly thereafter. This may be uh, literal as rumor is that they buried him in the Scotia River near the arena. Since then, Boomer's legend has grown to the point where there are many followers of his greatness. These followers believe he was erroneously targeted by fans of Stinger who said terrible things about Boomer. As a loyal fan, I believe that Boomer should be reborn as the newest part of the Blue Jacket franchise. It's been long enough without Boomer's presence at Nationwide Arena. Please sign a chances petition to bring back Boomer.
2: Oh, look up time. Stinger. So there's two mascots, and the theory is that their jokerfied Kermit mascot <laughs> like had it in for the cute little mustachioed cannon.
0: <gasps> yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with with Boomer.: Yeah.
1: Bring Boomer back. I was looking for the phallic.
2: Like, any write-ups about? I mean, it's just like, it's a cannon. It's like, you know, it's yeah. a shaft with a, with a mouth, but like, it's not particularly. I'm with it. I'll sign the Boomer petition. Yeah,
1: Let's go. Um, Jenna from Appleton, Wisconsin. Hey, Hi, Appleton. Patrick and Rob.
2: Uh, where is Appleton? Where is that? I've that's heard of just it. just south of Green Bay. That's where. Uh, oh, wow. That's oh. where Lewis University is. That's where I went to college.
1: Jenna, you are getting a shitload of snow right now. I hope you're okay. You are in the, uh, as the news was putting it, impossible conditions, getting two like two feet of snow and 50-mile-per-hour winds. So I hope things are, are safe up there in, in Appleton. Uh, I, like many other NFL fans, I'm, uh, I'm sure, have found myself aimless and adrift following the end of the season. Craving some of the structure the games provided my evenings, I found comfort in an unexpected place, professional wrestling. On a whim, I put on one of the WWE events a few weeks ago, and to my surprise, really enjoyed it. Even more surprising was my partner enjoying it, to quote her, quote, this is so fucking dumb. I love it. Because we're both nerds who enjoy analysis, we talked for a bit about why we enjoyed the event so much, and both realized that the biggest reason we had as much fun as we did was the commentary. That got me thinking about the importance of commentary in sports, and sports entertainment. To that end, I was wondering if you had any favorite commenters, uh, commentators across sports writ large, or any favorite commentary moments. Has commentary ever made or broken your enjoyment of a particular event? Love the show. Fuck capitalism. Go pack, go! Oh, fuck you, Jenna.
2: <laughs> it was good though. You got me. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> God, there's so like great commentators become such a such a part of it. Uh, I know the are people you were, are you pro or anti Joe Buck? I'm pro Joe Buck. I'm pro Joe Buck. I like Joe. I Buck. I love Joe Buck. Like Joe,
1: I get I get why people don't like him, but he's fun. Like can seemingly speak to any sport and the enthusiasm I, he works for me. So I am so. If you I, are I, a Joe Buck fan, better. have
2: you ever looked up? Clips from his short-lived HBO talk show? No. Hang on. I need to find this for you. We'll, we'll talk- <laughs> okay, look up Joe Buck, Artie Lang. We'll, okay. We'll, we'll take this. We, this might be a thing we need to watch like on a stream or something. But Joe Buck right. had a short-lived talk show on HBO. And the pitch was, hey, people, fo- Joe Buck's interesting. He's a smart guy. Right. It's going to be him talking to cool people. And then Artie Lang showed up and roasted him mercilessly. Uh, you know, talk about what a Nepo baby is, because Joe Buck is like uh, sports commentary, like uh, second sure. generation. But uh-huh. like just blew up the entire concept of the show. It's one of the most excruciating things I've ever watched, but it's riveting. Wow. Um, wow. So. It's very funny, uh, but that is so that that's a bit of Joe Buck lore uh, that you need to familiarize yourself with. But I I like Joe Buck. Um, I So he got dragged quite a bit uh, in these playoffs, but I'm ride or die for Al Michaels. And people were like, oh, his commentary sucked during during the playoffs. That's because he was paired with Tony Dungy. Like Tony oh, Dungy, so bad. He, like, there's not a room he cannot take the air out of, and this is setting <laughs> aside like the history of like evangelical transphobic conservatism that just like he exudes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is like he's just toxic as a sports personality. He may have been a great football coach, but he's boring as hell to yes. hear to hear talk about it. Um, and so. Al Michaels was basically flying solo for a game with the most boring man in sports. Uh, and so I don't I don't hold that against him, but I like sort of his dry, uh like acerbicness, I guess is the way I put it. For me, one of the gold standards was uh do you remember Doc Emmerich, uh, who did a lot of hockey coverage for NBC? Yeah, the name rings a bell. Uh just a terrific and charming uh sports commentator who had one of the best, like one of the best play by play uh styles I've ever heard, um and yeah just a just a national treasure like what was one of those things where even if the game who's calling wasn't interesting, it was just such a joy to sort of like listen to him work well what's interesting is you know the predominantly the the sport I
1: like pay attention to mo- the most is football in which the commentators mean the least because I understand. I appreciate that there I like that there is something to fill the air uh around the game but I don't usually need something explained to me I like I know what's going on it's more the commentators exist to fill a space um as the sport is occurring whereas sports like basketball and baseball which for me are very infrequently sports that I am sitting down to watch they are usually sports that are on in the background, right? So like the Bulls are frequently playing like while I'm cooking dinner and the kids are are eating their dinner and they're on their tablets. The Cubs are often playing during the day and so that'll just be on in the background. And so something that I have noticed over time, like one of the uh, longtime Cubs uh, uh, like color commentators left to go do the same thing for the White Sox. Couldn't tell you his name. But if I heard his voice, I could tell you that I missed it. And that has been an interesting part about watching a lot of Cubs and Bulls games over the last like five years is like one of the, the Bulls uh, uh, commentators who does a lot of the, the like the the local NBC sports ones. Like one of the things he said is like when there's a good play, it's like, oh, bang, bang, bang. And I have heard myself saying around the house is something good. Happens, I'm like Oh, bang, bang, bang. And I just it's one of those things where I can't give you names. I could look them up, but it's sort of irrelevant because the presence they have in my life is just, I associate their voices with the games I am listening to frequently when I am not watching and they are the context clues for like what is happening uh, in the game. And so I, I appreciate good local sports commentators a lot. I tend to have like stronger opinions on them because they have more of an impact on my watching and appreciation of the game, especially because I'm not watching – I'm watching occasional other NBA games. I'm watching occasional other baseball games. But usually I'm watching the Cubs or I'm watching the Bulls. Yeah. And the Bulls suck right now. They're they're terrible. They're, they're garbage. Uh, and I still watch a chunk of most of the games. And the only reason that's going to be entertaining other than, I don't know, a DeMar DeRozan pulling off an interesting play or screaming at uh, Zach Levine for t- taking an ill-advised three – is the, the commentators being interesting. And so they they take on additional weight, especially for these long running sports that don't have 16, 17, 18 games. They're 100 plus. And there's such an ebb and flow to these seasons in which frequently the games are inconsequential. It's just an ebb or a flow, even for a good team. Um, and so those commentators just become all the more important, um, especially for the regional stuff.
2: I'm, it always felt to me like um, the NBA bubble, was a looking glass that NBA commentary passed through. It's never quite been the same since. Like, I hear NBA game calls now, and they are the most podcast shaped game commentaries of any <laughs> league I have ever heard. Like, Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson are chatting, and incidentally, a game is happening uh, in the background. <laughs> it's a good game. They'll tune in. They're like, I sure. I love Jeff Van Gundy. I I I really do. I love his. I love his commentary, uh, but. Like he's a fun personality, but for the most part, and this is true of a lot of NBA calls, it is now just like people chatting. And yeah. if the game like gets tight, they'll tune back into it. But like it is a it is a strange phenomenon 'cause it's so alien to uh what it used to be. But for me, it started to feel like it was changing during the COVID bubble. because uh, there were so mm. many games to call in a short time and like there wasn't <laughs> mm-hmm. that much to talk about because it was all compressed. And so it just got really like
1: it was a lot of the same commentators, yeah. Self-referential, imagine, right? like, and yeah, yeah,
2: like just you know, as we were talking about just just the other day. Let's keep let's keep going. Let's keep chatting. But uh, yeah, like like basketball commentary feels different to me now than than a lot of other um, like a l- lot of other commentary. But yeah, it's um, I think you kind of I think sports need good commentators like this because there's going to be a lot of like games that are supposed to be good that just end up sucking. And you're gonna need someone who can make that an enjoyable experience. And there's people who hate like all commentary, they hate like commentators having any sort of flair. It's all about the Manning
1: cast, right?
2: Like, frequently they're watching bad games. Yep. And yet,
1: and the worst parts of of the Manning cast are when they bring guests on. Because I don't, I don't, I'm not there to watch
2: them interview Barack Obama. Like, I'm there to watch. No, but like, 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 I was there if they're talking to like Shannon Sharp like if they're talking can be to old, like other ex players who like also don't get to let their hair down uh uh-huh. like that very often that can be a lot of fun. It's just great because you like when uh what I love about that is because
1: they're not they do let their hair down more in the sense of uh like when a when a coach uses a timeout improperly. Like you Peyton Manning is just like ah oh,
2: ah oh, and it's like that's
1: yes, that's the feeling we're all having that is so restrained by the normal commentators who are a little more straight laced or like require extraordinary things to happen in order for them to get emotional. And I just love a little bit more of like Peyton, especially just getting just really mad at like basic shit going wrong. The kind of thing that you're yelling at your TV screen uh, about. And the fact that you see their faces the entire time. Right. I think that is a fundamental difference between that broadcast and your standard sort of commentator broadcast in which they are just a, they are just a, a broadly an audio thing except for when they cut away in the Manning cast, they always have them on. So there's kind of more of a physicality and performative element to what they're doing. That just isn't present in other broadcasts because they, like the visual element sort of disappears behind, behind the game. Uh, what I'm saying so- is I wish they'd, I wish they were on more and you know what they want? Bring the Manning cast to other sports. Fine. I'll listen to, I'll listen to Peyton Manning talk about the bulls. It'd be more, more interesting than the games that are happening. Uh, related, Corey from Knoxville asks, hey, y'all, do either of you have any uh, sort of affinity for sports talk radio? For me, local sports talk call-in shows are comedy gold, especially after a big loss, and are a must-listen. Fuck capitalism, go Vols? Vols. V-O-L-S? Vols? Who are the Vols?
2: Uh, I forget which college team they are.
1: Okay. Well, I I have no affinity for sports sports. Talk radio. Um, I I think maybe some of that is not having a commute and the advent of podcasting. It's like I'd rather just listen to two smart analysts talk for 45 minutes about a particular topic as opposed to just endless ranting about the thing of the day. Um, but I don't know. Have you, have you had any experience or affinity for sports oh,
2: talk? Yeah. I mean – Yeah, I uh, yeah, I grew up in Chicagoland. Like I, we've talked before about yeah, you listen to the score, you listen to all the old Bears players uh, just go through different stages of grief every week. Uh, (laughs) You know, you 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 tune in and you'd see like as. Is Doug Buffone uh going to make a death threat on the air this week? That would be that that might be fun to to listen to. Uh Ed Ade, Bradovich is is losing his shit. Like it, it, was, it was great. Like sports. Here's the weird thing. Like a lot of for me, I think like a lot of podcasts fill the niche that sports talk radio does or did. Mm-hmm. Yes. But there is something different about sports talk radio. I think part of it is because it is such a long, like even by even by podcast standards, it is a long form entertainment. It's actually closer, like to Twitch streaming in some ways. But it's also like, what do you want, right?
1: Do it, when I listen to a sports podcast, it's usually people being like measured, like sports analysis. Like we have a question coming up about people asking about sports writing and and reporting. Like I think the bar is just like so much higher on that these days, broadly speaking. Like you know, you've got the you know folks like the Mina Kimes of the world, and it's just like. Just incredibly smart people speaking very intellectually and philosophically and, like, have data to show about what's happening on the field. Sports radio is like, man, fuck the Bears. Like, fuck them. Like, hi, like fire Nagy. Like, they're not going to say that on the podcast, right? Like, but on sports radio, I'm going to get a little more of that energy. And so it's like, what are you there for? Are you learn, Are you there to learn something about the game or are you there – to just go through an emotional
2: experience as a fan. Cause that's more of what sports radio fills. Um, and they have their like community of callers uh, that mm-hmm. eventually like there's some people that just get sort of waved through. Like this person calls yeah. in and just wave them through. They're in a cause they're doing uh-huh, the radio uh-huh. the fun questioners. Uh, so yeah, that is like that. That's part of the appeal. So I, I love sports talk radio uh, podcasts have kind of like, Taking that time uh, and that form of entertainment yeah. for me uh, between like between podcasts and like watching the sports. I don't have a lot of time to like tune into sports talk radio, but like I, it does have a very special place in my heart and I, I miss it quite a bit. Apparently, the Vols are short for the volunteers for, for Tennessee, um, mm. which is very, very funny.
1: Uh, this one comes in from Callum. Uh, hey, ball pointers. That's good. I've been loving the sports podcast. I've been really enjoying hearing you guys discuss the ins and outs of the NFL and sports fandom at large. I was always one of those guys that didn't like sports growing up. It wasn't big in my family. and you know, The people around me at school that were into sports weren't really into in my friendship circle. Since discovering F1, thanks, Rob. Shout out to Shift F1. You can go to patreon.com slash Shift
2: F1. Oh, God. I think there might actually be a hyphen in there. <laughs>
1: I'll let you look that up. I found out that I also really like watching NASCAR and Australia's motorsports jewel, the supercars. I also devoured the Welcome to Rexham series in one haze of a weekend. I've heard you guys discuss the world of sports writing and journalism from time to time prior to the sports pod. As someone who wants to dive deeper into the, qual- the world of quality sports writing, can you recommend any outlets that you'd consider to be essential reading? Much love forever, Callum. Before we answer this, did you get an answer to your link.
2: Yeah, it's it's uh patreon.com slash of one Yeah, and great okay. time to look that podcast up because we it ter- I forgot this is happening. We are like a week away from the season starting. Uh, yeah, you like, just
1: published a... I, I saw uh, Danny Primer. published a link to a two and a half hour video in which uh, <laughs> Drew Scanlon prefaces it going, so, this is going to be long, and there's too much information, and you're not going to remember most of it. Don't sweat it. We're just getting started. Yeah, <laughs> like, it, it, like,
0: like, okay.
2: Every season, we do the, like... Hey, here, like you, assuming you know nothing about F1, but you are curious, we are going to talk through the various aspects of it. And Ooh. so it is We can do that this year for the for football, Rob. Well, that'd be fun. Absolutely. Uh so yeah, so that's that's what we put out, and uh then we get resume our regular programming. Uh for me, uh especially Callum as someone that
1: it has is maybe like relatively new to sports, but is interested in reading good sports writing, I do not think there is a better value out there than the Athletic. Uh, they are uh, a sports publication that was acquired by the New York Times a year or two back. It's Vastly higher editorial standards than the New York Times. Well, like The Athletic yes.
2: is so and much yet- better
1: an outlet. And yet, the way that you should acquire The Athletic is not by paying for The Athletic, but by going to the New York Times and paying for the New York Times. I can't believe That gets you access to The Athletic, because paying for The Athletic does not necessarily get you access to The New Those pieces New York Times. of
2: shit haven't retro... Like- <laughs> I don't get my New York Times subscription. Like I it, like and if that means the money only goes to the Athletic, then I can live with that. Uh yes. if I'm not funding their dog shit like uh, opinion page or leadership, get it. yeah.
1: I I fully get where you're coming from and I was for years have paid I've paid for the Athletic almost since the beginning. Um like even as their prices went up to like whatever 60 80 bucks a year, like the thing that's great about the Athletic is you're not just paying for Chicago sports, you know, like you could read about the Bears But they have beat reporters assigned to not every team, but almost every team in all sorts of leagues. So if you want to read about soccer, it's like I just pull up the athletic app and I can pull up a bunch of really well-informed analysis, reporting. Um, They also have like national writers and like local writers. So if you don't actually want to know about a specific team, but just want to like broadly know what's going on in a sport, they have you covered there as well. It's just if you're looking to just get into sports and want good writing they also have podcasts associated with like almost any of those teams. Like it's just a really great all-encompassing uh, uh, spot. And like as as Rob said, like it's a much higher standard than a
2: lot of like the national papers. Um, well, and it's it's also one of the last good reading experiences out there. Now they've just added yeah. ads, uh, but there's not many of them, and they're not too obtrusive. At least so far. Knock on wood, it stays that mm-hmm. way. But for a long time, they were ad free. And like it is wild when you open up the Athletic app, and you're like, oh. A readable news website on mobile because <laughs> In 2023 when you, when you allude to national papers that are not the New York Times uh by and large their websites are terrible local TV stations have even worse websites uh you know you it is terrible ads nothing but around the web links uh you know the footer of every article it, it just like it makes everything ugly hard to read uh unnavigable etc. And so that's kind of that's one of the other big advantages of the Athletic. Um it is a shame because I think like local news in general is crisis but local sports writing is like one of the treasures of that yeah. sort of institution. And a lot of that stuff now is locked behind ineffectual like paywalls um where it's like I'm sorry I'm not I'm not feeding my email or signing up for this like local regional paper. Um, or a lot's becoming nationalized, right? Yeah. And there is something there is the we've talked about this in the past. There is a huge difference
1: between being a beat reporter and yeah. a national reporter when it comes to covering a team or uh, a sport. And there will be something incalculably lost if everything becomes nationalized because you know what gets focused on is like the good teams and. I like the fact that even when my teams are bad, there are people who are trying to understand what the team is trying to accomplish, why they are failing, what could go differently. And that is especially true when you have personal and emotional attachment to a regional team. Like I can't, I can't just switch, right? Like, so if no one's writing about the bears, there's just nothing to read about the bears. And so that's where local beat reporters. And a lot of this is switching to subscription models, right? Like there's, you know, uh, uh, you know, CHGO is like a another like a. They're part of like a, a network of websites that like are a diff- out of different hubs that are like sports-centric cities. Um, it's it's sports media is going through similar upheavals that lots of other media is going through. Um, and the Athletic for a while was like this kind of shining beacon of we can cover it all, we can do it all, and we can make money. Um, I don't know if that last part was actually true <laughs> because I think the part was like. I don't know if their model was sustainable uh but uh hopefully the the New York Times doesn't mess with what they're doing too much and just it becomes part of their broader entertainment portfolio that they're doing with things like Wordle um because if we lost it you'd be losing I mean just there's a shitload of writers that make a good living there and yep. I would like them to keep making a good living uh to keep doing good stuff um so that is my uh recommendation um and let's see. Let's pick one of these to close out on. Uh, oh, this is interesting because I'm I'm curious if we can just uh, kind of close a loop on a stream that, that you and I did uh, with Kato a little while back. Not really a sports question, but I'm canceling YouTube TV now that the football season is over. $70 a month back in my pocket. Adam from Metro Detroit. Uh, I mostly use this to ask, you know, a couple of weeks in. How your YouTube TV experience is going? And now that football is over, is it something you're going to maintain past the three months of a reduced discount? I just got my email that is, "Hey, you're about to pay full price. You've you're out of your three month uh, discount range." And I did find myself last night when, like, we're in the All Star Breaks. So there wasn't even like a basketball game to put on. And I was like, I don't want to watch Wheel of Fortune. Am I paying seventy dollars a month to have Wheel of Fortune on in the background? I'm going to keep it for another month and see where we're at. But I I might be in a spot that Adam from Detroit is in. And I'm curious where where you're at, Rob.
2: Yeah, I think. um, So. The thing for me is I'm like into. You're into enough things that it sounds like you're
1: going to be able to justify it in a way that. The, you know I'll right, like give a couple ass. days
2: there's going to be basketball games I want I care about right, now. like right. uh, my, like the and then baseball's of- going to start again so right. like I'll probably find my justification uh and like I don't follow basketball very well for the first half of the season but after the all-star break I tend to tune in a bit a bit more the games feel a little more meaningful uh and I do enjoy the playoffs a lot so it's stuff like that now I will say um you know like League Pass is a pretty good deal in basketball. If I wanted to watch F1, their F one TV uh like package is also pretty good. So all these things probably would be and then, you know, toss in Peacock there to cover other motorsports and like uh uh soccer. And suddenly there's not a ton of like things that are exclusive to TV that I I need to watch, but you know, it's it's a pretty good interface. Uh, mm-hmm. It's I unbalanced. Like I, I do find it's an the, the the thing is rather than having to see like, OK, right. I need to go to Peacock to see navigate to the games I want to see there. Uh, it's very easy to just open up YouTube TV, go to the events I bookmarked. And yep. there it all is. And that saves me some time and like just mental overhead where it's like, I don't know what sport I'm going to watch just yet. But I'm going to see what like I have in the have in the tank. Mm-hmm. And there it is and so that is like it makes it like that part seamless and so i'm probably i'm probably keeping it on the strength of that yeah
1: all right well that is going to do it for sports again you can write in uh, questions to gamingadvice.com with the subject head sports or uh, keep abreast of twitter uh, and we will post a link to a document you can drop these into uh, in the meantime, you can follow Waypoint uh, on Twitter at Waypoint, on Twitch at twitch.tv Waypoint, on YouTube at youtube.com slash WaypointVice, and our writing at waypoint.vice.com. This episode is premiering ad-free on Waypoint Plus, which you can subscribe to and gain access to early episodes, ad-free episodes, uh, exclusive episodes, and more at waypointplus.com. Uh, we're still figuring out what is the sports podcast and the like NFL off-season Uh, era, uh, feel free to write in, uh, if you have any ideas or suggestions as we kind of figure out the shape of things, uh, going forward. Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure we're going to do another XFL check-in, uh, and the USFL is in April. So, uh, you know, one of the ideas I had was maybe picking a, a sport and like, like Rob, Let's subscribe to ESPN Plus and then find the weirdest sport possible we can watch on there, and then get really into it for a week. Uh, is an idea I had. So if you have an idea, please uh, let us know what you think would be fun as we wait for uh, the NFL offseason to grind through, get closer to kind of free agency and and the draft. Where we got. Well, some you stuff sound to just
2: really like you're not you're not uh, champing at the bit to get into basketball in the next. I'm did not the, I did mean did the Bulls ruin it like did did the wind get taken so under bad. sails like Dude, they're so bad. But hey, once Caruso and Ball are healthy, right? Like No, he's been ruled out for the are in season. Play. Ball's yeah, not, but, Ball's not coming no, back. No, but like next year, you know? Yeah,
1: next year. Yeah, next year. next year. Next year. Next year. Even if they're even if they're bad, we gave that part of the Vucevic trade was giving away our first round draft pick and there's like a historic player coming in next season that if we were tanking, we'd have a chance at. But now, even if we tanked, we'd have a 50% chance of losing that draft pick to the Orlando Magic. <sighs> I'll find the energy. I'll, I'll, I'll find a lane in the in the playoffs when we get closer. But right now, it's it's bad. Until then, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Patrick Klaubek. Rob, where can people
2: follow you? Well, until the account is hijacked for lack of two-factor authentication, uh, <laughs> I'm at Rob Zachne. <laughs>
1: Fuck capitalism and bear down.